Good evening, everyone. Thank you very much for coming. I hope you had a pleasant day. If you did, say yes. If you didn't, say no. Mostly yeses. Well, God is still good regardless of our circumstances. I'm glad you're here. I really am. It's now six minutes to eight. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness to us. You were righteous in all your ways and holy in all your works. And as your manservant prepares to deliver the words of life, I ask you from my heart, dear God, to grant me the words I should speak. I think of the words of David in 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 2, when David said, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. Father, put your words in my tongue tonight, I pray. And I thank you for hearing and answering. In Jesus' name, amen. Our subject for tonight, who was that couple with courage? Who was that couple with courage? Luke chapter 1, reading from verse 10. Who was that couple with courage? Luke chapter 1, reading from verse 10. The Bible says, And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of the incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zechariah, for thy prayer is heard. And behold, thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Now these are words from the lips of the angel Gabriel. Thou shalt call his name John. Thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the father to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Verse 18. And Zechariah said unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years? And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God, and I am sent to speak unto thee, and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb, and not able to speak, until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. Now let us review that passage. An angel comes to Zechariah, while Zechariah is ministering in the temple. Zechariah sees the angel, and like all other people privileged to see angels, Zechariah is troubled, and the Bible says, Great fear fell upon him, his knees began to knock. Immediately the angel put him at ease, and said, Fear not, Zechariah, verse 13, for thy prayer is heard. Come on, say amen for answered prayers. God loves to answer prayer. Sometimes he answers immediately, sometimes he takes a while. Thy prayer is heard. Angels know when God answers our prayers. 
Because angels are part of God's plan to redeem us and having redeemed us to sustain us. And they will be sent by God to call those of us who are asleep when Jesus comes from our graves. And they shall escort us into the very presence of Jesus. And so the angel said, thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son. And thou shalt call his name John. Any Johns here tonight, can I see your happy hands? No John, oh, one John here tonight, God bless you. And God bless all the Peters and Pauls and Elijahs and Julians. Not just the Johns. Now, God told Elijah, told Zechariah, two things would happen. In verse 13, what were the two things that would happen? In verse 13, what were the two things? His wife would do what? Bear son, and what was the second thing? And thou shalt call his name John. Now, let's go to verse uh, 21. And the people waited for Zechariah and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple. For he spake unto, beckoned unto them and remained speechless. Now let's run down to verse 57 of Luke 1 as we continue. Who was that couple with courage? Luke 1, reading verse 57. Keeping in mind the details of verse 13. The Bible says, Now Elizabeth's full time came that she should be delivered, and she brought forth a son. She brought forth a son in fulfillment of verse 13. The first part of the verse precisely fulfilled. And her neighbors and her friends or her cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her and they rejoiced with her. And it came to pass that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child and they did what? Called him, come on read it with me, and they called him Zechariah. Why? After the name of his father. Now, do we have a problem? Yes, what's the problem? God said, call him John, the family and friends decided to call him Zechariah. Now, is God outnumbered? Numerically, yes. Yes. God says, call him John. All her neighbors and all her relatives got together and decided to call him Zechariah. And they had a good traditional reason. Because it was the custom, apparently, in that family to name the boy after the father. What father does not feel a sense of pride when his son carries his name? And so we have John Jr. And we have Ted Jr. And we have Randy Jr. I've never heard of a Gloria Jr. I don't know why. Or Susan Jr. But always the boy after the father. And it gives the father pride. This boy reflects me, carries my genes. He shall carry on the family tradition and the family name. And they call him Zechariah after the name of his father. But God had said, he shall be called John. Now very often in life, we are confronted with what society says. What our friends say. 
what is part of our family tradition, we are confronted with that on one side, and on the other side, we have a very plain, thus saith the Lord. And to God's amazement, many people choose to do what society says, what friends say, what family members say, what the tribes say, what the custom dictates and requires and demands in disregard of a plain, plain statement of God's requirement. But I want to tell you tonight, there are a few people who have the spiritual fortitude, a spine of steel to do what God requires regardless of if the family or the friends or the neighbors or the tribe or the country or the world is against them. And in verse 16, the Bible says, And his mother answered and said, Not so. Ah, praise God for Elizabeth. Not so. But he shall be called John. Why? Because the mother knew this is what God wanted. Doing God's will is not a complicated thing. The complication arises from our sinful hearts. So we have discussions and arguments and justifications like, well, this is how it is done in my family. We named the boy after the father. Elizabeth simply said, not so, he shall be called John. Verse 61. And they said unto her, now this is a very powerful argument. There is none of thy kindred that is called by this name. Elizabeth, you are going against Hundreds of years of tradition in this family. No one in this tribe has ever been called John. Elizabeth, you are one woman. You cannot break this tradition. Obviously, Elizabeth stood as firm as the rock of Gibraltar, would not move. God said, John, and I am calling him John. I don't care what my family says, or my friends say, or the community says, my classmates say, I am standing on the side of thus saith the Lord. How many of you are like that? Can I see your hands? Are you telling the truth? <laughs> well, when they got nowhere with Elizabeth, they chose to speak to Zechariah. Verse 62. And they made signs to his father how he would have him called. Why were they making signs to Zechariah and not making signs to Elizabeth? Zechariah was dumb. The angel had said in verse 19, uh, verse 20, And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in this season. Now notice he said, until the day that these things, the two things, the birth of the boy and his naming John. Two things. Now the boy is born. That's what we read in verse 57. She brought forth a son. One part is fulfilled. Zechariah was still dumb because the next verse, verse 59, sorry, tells us. And it came to pass that on the eighth day, he was eight days old. The father was still dumb because only 50% of what God asked for had been done. And God is a God of 100% obedience or none at all. So he was still dumb. So verse 62 says, And they made signs to his father how he would have him called. 
Verse 63. And he asked for a writing table and spake saying, what? His name is John. Come on, say amen for husbands and wives cooperating. His name is John. And they marveled all. Verse 64 tells us, and his mouth was opened ten minutes later. <laughs> his mouth, as soon as obedience was complete and full. Let me repeat that. There are a lot of Adventists who argue for partial obedience. God is not fussy. Yes, God is very fussy. God is not particular. God is extremely particular. The God who made the atom is very particular about detailed response to his requirements. The Bible says, and his mouth was opened immediately. It tells me this also. God rewards obedience. He does not wait. Many times the reason we do not see God moving in our lives is because we are too busy developing justification why we should do one thing in opposition to what God said. And so their reasoning was, well, we called him after the father. What is so sinful about that? It is in the tradition of the family. What is so sinful about that? The sinful thing is, it's not what God wanted. And as soon as Zechariah obeyed. God opened his mouth. And his tongue was loosed. Verse 64. And he spake and did what? Praised God. Who was that couple? With courage. The courage to stand up against the crowd. Now this sermon has a very delicate side. Because verse 50, it tells us of Luke 1, and her neighbors and her cousins. Who were the cousins? Or her friends? Relatives. It is not easy to go against relatives. Am I telling the truth? Yes. Many people refuse to keep the Sabbath because most of their family members keep Sunday. And that's the only reason why they keep it, because most family members do it. The family exerts tremendous pressure on the individual consciences of members of that family. This was no different for Zechariah and his wife, just two. All the neighbors, all the relatives. Now let's go back to verse 59 and notice something interesting. As we continue, who was that couple with courage? The Bible says, and it came to pass that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. Who is they? <laughs> Let's get a clue as to who they is. And they call him Zechariah. Now it is clear from the obedience of Zechariah and Elizabeth that they did not have a part in the naming of this child. How many times do family members make plans for us and we have no contribution to the plans? I want you to marry that man. Or this woman. I want you to study this. Regardless of whatever conviction God puts on your heart, you study this, that's what our family studies. I want you to do this, I want you to do that. 
this and that. And the person is saying, but the Lord has laid a different conviction on my heart. I don't care. I am your family. And you will do this because you will not embarrass me. Which do you prefer? To embarrass your family or to burn in hell? Now, don't get me wrong. I said it's a delicate sermon, this part of it. The greatest blessing in the world is a godly family. Come on, say amen. If you as a child, you've got godly parents, you ought to thank God every day. Jump up and shout every day. There is no greater earthly blessing than godly parents. I had a godly mother. I have a godly mother. She's praying for me right now. Not because I called her today, because that's the way she is. She prays for me, and I know when she prays, you can hear her groan. I have a godly mother. But when I'm going places to preach, particularly far overseas, I tell her when I get there. You understand me? I don't tell her two days before, a week before. I call her when I've already gotten there. There's nothing she can do, nothing she can say. Because if I tell her beforehand, you know, I'm going to uh, Sudan to preach. Oh, it's the end of the world for her, her because her son will be killed. Because as much as I love her, her concerns about my safety cannot prevent me from doing what my God tells me to do. But I love her. Zechariah and Elizabeth had to face all of their friends, all of their family members, and take up a position. Some family members will ostracize you. I run into this problem all the time, particularly overseas. A young man decides to be baptized, the family puts him out. I was talking to this young lady. She heard the truth, wanted to be baptized. The family disowned her. Stopped paying her school fees. Why? She wanted to keep God's Sabbath, for which there is abundant biblical evidence, in opposition to Sunday, for which there is no biblical evidence whatsoever. And she decided to be baptized anyway. They cut off her school fees. They wanted to give her money to start a business. They canceled that plan. She held on to Jesus. And when the family saw her determination to choose God, not to hate her family, you can't do that, but to love God more. Come on, say amen. Love God more. After a while, they came around. Faithfulness exerts a powerful influence even on the unfaithful. They came around began to respect her beliefs, resume payments of her school fees, and gave her money to start her business. She was faithful. A couple of years earlier, I was in another country doing a crusade. This 16-year-old girl came to me. She said, I had never heard about the Sabbath in my life. She said, she was 16, a Muslim. She said, I am getting baptized no matter what my parents say. Now, parents, don't panic. Don't panic. Don't panic at all. Because you have a parent higher than you. You know who that parent is? God. She said, I am getting baptized. No matter what my parents say. Now, the Bible says, honor your father and your mother. And we've got to do that as long as they live. 
But what I'm saying here as carefully as I can because I want to leave this church tonight without being cut and shot and beaten up. <laughs> there will come a time in your life when you've got God says this and family and friends say that. The question I'm asking, when that time comes, what will you do? I pause for you to answer quietly in your own heart. When that time comes, what will you do? When Jesus was on the cross, Matthew 26, or Matthew 27, he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because the father had turned away. At that moment, he was alone. Earlier in Matthew 26, verse 56, then all his disciples forsook him and fled. Jesus understood what it meant to occupy a position by himself. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 tells us, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus understands when you are by yourself against everyone else. Because at some point, the Father turned away. If the Father turns away, the Holy Spirit has to turn away. All the disciples gone. Not an angel to support him. Cried out, if you read it in Psalm 22 verse 1, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the voice of my groaning, Why are you so far, Jesus Christ? Part of his experience, he had to suffer alone. When Jesus Christ was in the temple, parents missed him for three days. When they didn't miss him for three days, finally they realized he was not with them. They returned, found him in the temple. Luke chapter 2 verse 48 to 50. The Bible says, when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. Listen to Mary. What are you doing to us? <laughs> Jesus wasn't doing anything to them. He makes it clear he was doing his father's will. And Jesus said, how is it he sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? Let's forget children for a while. Let's go to the adults. Can you stand up for Jesus at the workplace even if all your colleagues occupy a different position? Can you let it be known that you're Sabbath keeper in an office filled with unbelievers? Do we have the courage, the guts, the fortitude to stake a position on truth even if all the world takes an opposite stand? Do we have the courage? Let me tell you something. Until you make that, you resolve that in your heart, God does not know where you stand, nor do you. And tomorrow night we'll look at the life of Job. Elizabeth and Zechariah. Elizabeth said, no, not so. Verse 60, he shall be called John. The argument of the crowd was used against her. 
There is none of thy kindred that is called by this name. Verse 61. It made no difference as long as God said call him John. Elizabeth was prepared to call him John. Even if she had to die with the word John on her lips. They couldn't move her. They went to her husband. What shall we call him? His name is John. I praise God for obedient saints. Who are not intimidated by what most people do. Most people smoke and drink because their friends smoke and drink. Most young people act crazy because their friends are acting crazy. It's very interesting the difference that comes over a person when you separate the person from the crowd and have that person all by himself or herself. You've got someone different. You pick a young man in a crowd and he's bad. He's bad. Now you separate him from his gang, have him one-on-one, -on -one, and you've got a piece of putty in your hands. Because he looks around and his gang, his peeps, they are gone. Now let's see what kind of guts you have. None. I thank God Jesus looked around. The Father had turned. Holy Spirit had turned. No angels in sight. The disciples were long gone. And Jesus' cry was, into thy hands. I commend my spirit. Not my will, but thy will. Alone on that cross. He held his position as the savior of a people who find it so difficult to stand alone on their cross for him. I'm calling upon all of us tonight to search our hearts. Search your heart. If your spouse chose to leave God, what would you do? Leave God too? So I'm not joking. If your husband decided to leave God, stop going to church, stop praying, stop all of that, what would you do? Because that happens. If your wife chose to leave God, become the fashion plate, a 21st century Babylonian, what would you do? Argue, well, husbands and wives should stay together. Let me go with her. What would you do? Don't you understand there comes a time when God will ask you, as he asked of Abraham, sacrifice Isaac. And Isaac is that which is most important to us. God says, give it up for me. Taking a stand against everyone else when that stand is the word of God. And that couple with courage, Zechariah and Elizabeth, that savior with courage, Jesus dying by himself. I thank God for Zechariah, his example. I thank God for Elizabeth, her example. And I thank God for Jesus who stood alone. We must pray and say, God, give me a love for you that is so strong that even if all the world, including my family, goes the wrong direction, I will remain faithful to you. In Joshua 24, verse 15, 
Joshua said to the Israelites, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose ye this day whom ye shall serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. Now, the last part of the verse is the critical part. But as for me and my house, now not simply as for us, Joshua presents himself as an individual with an individual identity from his house. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, meaning that even if my house chose not to serve the Lord, I as an individual will serve God as for me and my house. God needs people tonight who will stand for him regardless of what other people say. And there are very few people on this earth who can do that. Because the moment the crowd moves in one direction, our knees buckle. We are afraid to be isolated. Members of our group go one way, we go one way. Members of our profession do one thing, we have to do one thing. We are afraid to go contrary and to suffer the ostracism that may result. But there is no price we must not be willing to pay to show Jesus how much we love him. And so I call upon you tonight and I remind myself, let us commit ourselves to God every day that whatever he tells us in his holy word, that is where we will stand. This is the path we will walk. We must say like Elizabeth, not so. Not so. His name shall be John. Why? That is what God and so you run a business everyone raises the price when there's a hurricane and people are in stress you decide Christ would never do that I'm not taking advantage of people's distresses I will be Christ like and you demonstrate that in the way you run your business I'm a student the teacher accidentally left the answer sheet on the desk Everyone else is checking the answers to ensure admission to dental school. I will not do that. Because I am a Christian. There are a lot of easy girls in the neighborhood. You go after them. I will represent Jesus Christ in everything. No matter what the crowd may do. Let me ask you from my heart. How many of you will say, Lord, this is not easy. But give me the divine courage to stand for you even if all the world leaves you. Can I see your right hand? Do you really mean that? Stand up. Let's not play with God. Never make a commitment to God if you're joking. God does, has no pleasure with fools, we're told in Ecclesiastes. Lord, I will stand for you even if all the world goes against you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you tonight asking you, Lord, to forgive us for those occasions when we buckled under the pressure of the crowd. We buckled under the pressure of tradition and habit and custom and society in opposition to your plainly spoken word. We ask you to forgive us, dear God, and to grant us that character, that mind of Jesus Christ. 
that will allow us as an expression of love for you to hang by ourselves on our crosses if that's what it takes. To go to the lion's den alone if that's what it takes. To go to the fiery furnace alone if that's what it takes. To go to the dungeon of Potiphar alone if that's what it takes to do us right. Give us a mind that loves you so much we will die before we disgrace you. Lord, hear this humble prayer. Hear it, I pray. I offer it from my heart. In Jesus' name and for his sake, let all God's people say, Amen and Amen. God bless you. We shall see you tomorrow night. Please have a safe evening.